You're listening to Red Nation Online. Prospect 11's Aaron Nielsen, I'm Ian Clark, and we're not hungover. The morning after TFC's impressive 2-0 win away to the Montreal Impact. Did we just watch the two best teams in the conference go toe-to-toe? Aaron and I look at the state of both clubs going into the match, break down key player performances from Josie Altidore and Will Johnson, and segue out of the game and look at the future of both teams via their academies and USL sides. It's all that and more on the next 40 minutes on East Side Stand Up. Sunday morning, yeah. the best time to do a Toronto <laughs> City podcast. Not really, but we're what part? Do you know what's the name of this park? You know, I what don't it is. know. No, we used to go toboggan down here as kids, but that's the only thing. Keel something maybe, or they probably named it after some old school Protestant guy who we have no care or knowledge of <laughs> anymore. Today. He's not. A, he's not a guy in this neighborhood that we've ever heard of. He no. probably lived around here at some point. Yeah. And I was going to, again, coming up with that. Oh, I know what it is. Uh, Toronto FC, the winning team in Toronto. <laughs> yeah, oh, wait, did I, did I use yeah, that yeah. one already? Oh, yeah. yeah. Here we are yeah, again a week, a, a week later, and it's <laughs> the same story. Toronto FC wins. Raptors, Jays can't seem to keep pace with the I, mighty, I guess, mighty TFC. I guess most made the wrong decision yesterday because they, they were counter, um, counter events yesterday, right? Because the Raptors game was on during the TFC game, so... I think many people are probably listening to this without even knowledge of the game. <laughs> <laughs> that's <laughs> entirely watching the basketball game. That's yeah, nice. that's entirely possible. So here we are. Toronto FC beats the Montreal Impact yesterday 2-0 on the yes. road, okay. on the road. And I think off the top, the way to kind of, I guess, start the episode is saying, you know, with another road game ahead against a poor team of the Portland Timbers, Toronto has hit that 11-point mark. Yeah. Uh, and if we looked at, you know, we talked about last week the game, the lot two games ahead, and how Montreal was the unlikely points, and Portland was the one that we should be saying mm-hmm. to ourselves that's where we could probably get our last three points and really kind of be in a good position. And with one more road game before we get our home opener, you know, Toronto could be sitting at twelve or fourteen, which is far surpasses Bill Manning's modest goal of eight points to start the season. Mm-hmm. Your thoughts on yeah, where, well, how I we thought, spin so far. I thought, and generally, I thought yesterday was the best I've ever seen TFC play. Like, I've seen TFC play in games where you win 4 nothing, 5 nothing, where the game's kind of, no, you know, both teams are sort of given up and one player is dominating or one situation is dominating. But this was the first game where I basically saw, um, I would say, Toronto C as a complete team and a team where they basically shut down, like, Montreal had their issues yesterday, but primarily it was the case of Toronto shutting down Montreal and not giving them any opportunities. And then Toronto themselves shows the clinicalness of Javinko to score the goals he did, but Azario had a couple of chances, and I think if the team wanted, especially in the second half, I think if the team wanted to be more 
threatening. This is Toronto FC. I think they could have been. And so it's, it happens in soccer quite a bit. Once you realize that team's strategy goes out the window, like they stopped what Montreal was trying to do, it didn't seem like Toronto was in trouble through the whole game. And this is the first game, honestly, of the first seven, I guess, what they started the season, where I first saw that, right? Like in the other games, we've been kind of holding on and trying to get a point or trying to get something. And this one was the first one where, and I think part of it is, is this is the third row game in a row or second game in a row where they had that starting 11, where they had Zario and, and Delgado, but they also had Altador and Javinko. And, you know, I think I wrote in my preseason <laughs> thing that that was my starting lineup that I would go for. And that was the, that's Toronto FC at their best. And so I felt today or yesterday, they had more, consistency you know like they knew Javinko's position they knew Eltador's position um, Azario and Delgado were still probably the least impactful of all players but they still sort of played a role and and I think if you look at you know one of the things is if you look at the touches from yesterday's game which I actually wrote about in terms of MLS having struggles with this because they expect too much from the DPs um, I think most of the players had almost even touches which shows to me that everybody was involved in the game, everyone was doing their role. And the player who actually impressed me the most was Johnson. Because I think, um, number one is I think, you know, the issues we've always had with Bradley and Bradley making mis those mistakes. I think Johnson's there to cover those mistakes, which was necessary when you're expecting so much from Bradley. And I also thought this the way he sort of controlled the midfield and did what he had to do. Um, it was a real sort of sign of how good they were yesterday. Yeah, I think I wanted to, uh, you know, agree with and touch on a couple of points that you made. Uh, one of them was sort of me was is looking back and you said sort of the last three games, and I and I kind of feel like what we saw yesterday has been sort of that three week buildup. Mm. Has sort of Aldador's slotted back in the lineup, and now they're playing. They're away from that 4-3-3 yeah. with Jovinko at the top of the formation. And now it's sort of, I guess, I've said it for the last two games, our ideal formation, which I would suggest is out the door at the top of the formation with Jovinko. Yeah, now yesterday it was kind of funny because I don't know necessarily if they played this way, but it was advertised as a diamond. And they had Azario at the top of the diamond and Bradley at the bottom of the diamond and Delgado and Johnson playing the wings or the central midfield. And I don't know if it's played that way, to be honest with you. I think it's... You know, as I said, beginning of the season now, now truthfully, uh, Bradley's been far more concentrating on the defense than the offense. So, you know, I think it's, you know, arguably, I think it's nine men behind the ball and two men up front. And those two men up front are good enough, they, Toronto believes, to make an impact to, to give you a goal or to get you in the lead and stuff like that. My one concern, you know, with the team during this streak and just team going forward is they do play very deep. Like the one thing I noticed yesterday, in the first half, it was close, and it almost looked like Toronto was going for like a nil-nil draw or something like that. And it was amazing to me is how deep, and I wouldn't expect this, but how deep Bershaw and Morrow play. Like it's basically a flat back four, flat four midfield, and then the two guys up front. And I'm wondering how that relates going forward, especially at home. Number one, is the team willing going to be that so we're conservative. structure, conservative, or something like that. And number two, do we want, does Toronto FC fans want grease light? <laughs> grease light or something like that. Do Will we be happy with, you know, a counter-attacking defensive style game where especially, you know, how teams in the MLS play in the road. So if, so if a team comes into Toronto playing that fashion as well, 
it's going to be the most dire game. I've ever I do remember. I do remember a couple years back, one of the TFC surveys, and the question was, you know, would you was something like, do you want to oh, play with or style goals. or do you want to win? <laughs> and I'm like, where's the option to win with style? True. I mean, true. Th- that's not a possibility. I just thought it was hilarious that that's what. Yeah, the, that and, and I'm not. Option. I'm not going to deny. Like for a soccer kind of football kind of sure, I thought again. I said it was the best I've seen Toronto ever. Watching Toronto. And so I think there's a bit of respect and a bit of, you know, um, um, if you really follow the game, you can respect that and you could say, well, they're doing a great job there and stuff like that. It's just, it is a boring game, right? You know, Montreal failed to get a shot at target in the first half. I think they probably only had a couple in the second half. And arguably, you know, Toronto's goal was a penalty that was, it wasn't a scoring opportunity. It was a penalty by a stupid play by Montreal. And then a break, you know, a breakout like the goal we saw, I guess, was it against New York and, and stuff like that. So Toronto has yet to sort of, you know, the one, I guess, issue is they've sort of yet to build up a scoring opportunity, 11 versus 11, where it was them doing the offensive, them doing control, control and them looking good and them scoring the goal that was, you know, wonderful or beautiful or something like that. Sure. Right? I, yeah, I can see that. And I think... From that, you know, it's, you know, broad strokes, if we actually roll straight into the game. Yeah. Where we have Montreal coming off a pretty impressive 2-1 win in Chicago. Yeah. And then Toronto, I would say, a fairly impressive 1-0 win over D.C. in some regards. Um, yeah. You know, two teams that came off road wins. Montreal with two beautiful goals. Toronto with a uh, pretty gritty performance. A lot of the things that we've already talked about and the way they've been playing we saw against D.C. And the thing I wanted to touch on specifically these two teams, and there was a tweet yesterday from Dwayne Rowland saying, you know, are we watching the two best teams in the East right now? And we look at what they have to offer. Yeah. You know, you have Toronto's lineup, and let's just, from the middle forward, you know, you have Delgado Bradley, Johnson Osorio, Jovenko Altidore, and Montreal, where you had Alexander Donadel, Orduro Piatti Ship with Drogba up top. Yeah. Those, that's, you know, that's yeah. those are yeah. two, like, you know, front half. I, I, I'm pretty I wanted Trump by. Rollins because I said this in <laughs> January. So. <laughs> no, I did. I did. You know, I did yeah, a pre. I did an fair. extended preview for both Montreal and Toronto, and I did see them as. You know, I put Columbus and the Red Bulls in that mix, but I did see them as the top teams in the East. And um, yeah, and and you know, and I and I and I actually I actually pre-tweeted this game as well, saying that I did see these two as the top two teams. You know, because I still think it's it's well. It's to my benefit, but I notice when you see betting lines and stuff like that, they still are very disrespectful to Toronto and Montreal, and I think that's because the general perception of MLS. And I think very few, especially Montreal, very few Americans even are concerned what Montreal is doing. So you know how sometimes, and this is not a disrespect to anybody else we do the podcast with, but you know how going into games people say, oh, well, yeah, Columbus, they're crap, you know, we'll win that game easily. And then you go to Columbus and you lose like 4 nothing. So I think we're now into that shoe, right, yeah, yeah. where we're going, you know, if we're, this is the D.C. podcast or the Portland podcast, they're like, oh, it's Toronto, man, we'll win that game easily. I seem to remember we'll, <laughs> doing... Uh, Colorado, they're crap. We're going to yeah, win that game yeah, easily. Yeah. <laughs> and now well, look Colorado's at them. Colorado's another team I like this year. Look so. at them now. <laughs> Holy yeah, shit. Yeah. Watch them well, again It's pre-Jones, pre-Howard. But uh, yeah, no, Colorado's another team I like going into the season. But going into the game, I thought that, ironically, I think that Montreal wasn't scouting Toronto going into this season because I thought they overcompensated positions that Toronto wasn't strong at, right? You know, I thought... The fact that they played that sort of 4-2-3-1 and had 
Dondell and Alexander. I thought that was too much, and that's, you know, too much in the midfield. Like, I think they could have been more expansive than that. And what they lacked in the game was wide play. You know, Adoro did to a certain extent, but we know Adoro's more of a striker than an outright winger. And Ship is an interesting player because he has a lot of talent, but I don't think he's that useful on the wing. And when they brought in your favorite guy, uh, Venegas, or whatever his name is, yeah. the Costa Rican guy <laughs> who falls over all the time. <laughs> My favorite uh, guy, thanks for that. <laughs> um, they did look a bit better because that's what he was able to do. Yeah, he was better able, technique, he was able right? to fall down too, but he was able to play more wide and run with the ball in the width. And that's the only time Toronto... Now, again, I think they handled that perfectly well, right? But that was the only time that Montreal seemed to be threatening. You know, when Montreal was trying to go, and the, and the complete, especially because of all the hype he'd gotten so far this season, the complete guy who was completely out of the game is Piatti. Like, Piatti completely disappeared. He didn't absolutely do anything. And I think that was less to do with his skill. It was more to do that tr Montreal expected to play through the center and how Toronto handled that, especially, as I said, with Johnson and Bradley. Yeah, and I think if, like, we roll into this game, We've talked on so many points, but I think I wanted to circle back. We've, uh, we're obviously skipping ahead quite a bit forward up to like the 39th minute, 40th minute, mm -hmm. where Toronto gets on the board to open the game and have maybe a bit of a sidebar discussion on the play that was, was Josie Altidore and how he picks that ball up wide and he works in the box. And we can, you, know, you can talk about the penalty and how it was an absurd foul. For yeah. the Cabrera, yeah. I think it is, who, yeah. you know, he's working his way outside of the box and he decides to slide tackle him then. Well, I, was, I was thinking old Henry days of uh, Toronto FC, right? And maybe this is yeah. the, the Toronto FC's credit. Maybe this is why you have more senior defenders, right? Because young defenders athletically have the talent, but do they have the brain sometime? And that was certainly yeah. an. The no, one I'm, I'm remembering thinking. is the, the game against Sporting Kansas City. When, oh, he, Henry, when the okay. guy lofted it over Henry and Henry kind of like just plowed straight into him. Yeah, right. And in the ball, the player didn't have the ball. Oh, yeah, okay, okay, remember, remember he kicked it to no one in particular. Kansas City, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah and he yeah, knocked, yeah, and the guy just yeah. ran into Henry and fell yeah. down, and that was the penalty. Well, I remember, I remember an utter fear that as soon as the team went into the box, that there was this fear that the Toronto defender was always going to foul the guy and give a penalty. So, yeah. Um, but there's the one thing I wanted to talk about that is, yeah. I mean, we've, we've touched on it before, and I, it's kind of thing where I feel like the last three games, like each game has sort of been like a, a step in confirmation of some things that we've been seeing and, and, and we're coming closer to them being this is the truths of, you know, Jose Altador is in the lineup and we can have our conversation of pros and cons and whether they like him or not. But he definitely w is the guy that's going to open things up for Jovinko. Yeah. And we need that secondary threat or primary threat, however you want to say it to loosen up that back line, to draw some attention away. And, and I think that play was was an ex a great example of it where, you know, if you do leave him all alone, he'll he'll punish you. And he works his way in the box and draws his penalty. And you saw him, like, he does the fist pump when, yeah, he, when yeah. they pounded the spot because yeah. he's like, yes, like, uh, A, I'm glad for that kind of celebration that he's he's happy for that and he, yeah, and yeah. he did something for the team to contribute, I think. Yeah. And that he, you know, it, it was all Josie in that moment where that all came from. Sure, sure. Now you could argue, you know, if you look at the penalty, you could argue that he kind of he did go dived. down. <laughs> he did go down. It was a uh, so, so that's a bit it. suspicious. Yeah. But no, no, I can understand why. You know, we've had an Eltador conversation since Eltador came to Toronto, right? And um, you know, I can understand why people might be frustrated with him because there was plays yesterday. You know, his ability to hold up what everyone expects from him. And he doesn't do that all the time. But there was one play to his benefit where he was on the wing and he was, and he was going against, I guess, uh, Tissot or, or the other guy one-on-one. -on -one. 
and he looked like an all-star winger, right? Like he actually has those technical skills that many MLS players don't have, right? And it's it's one of those things where I don't know what it is. Like I don't know if it's self-confidence or it's just who he is, but he just can't, you know. He, you know, if if you gave if you gave Eltador Drogba's confidence. <laughs> I think you know right. Altador would be you know probably the you know the best you know you know the best player in MLS yeah. right because he has all those skill sets he just seems not to I don't want to say motivate just doesn't he, he doubts himself yeah I think and I think I can I'm always you know cranking rolling the thing backwards there in different games in the past and I, I think the game I'm remembering was the home opener against Houston where there was that glimpses of him out wide where a he had a, he had enough pace to yeah. beat players. And he just, there's those glimpses of his confidence where you're like, he does have the potential to, to sort of boss the game yeah. if he st- stays in that headset. But I do think he, you know, he teeters on fitness and I think he teeters on confidence because he does have that promise and doesn't always deliver on it. So I think he's always wrestling yeah. with his in-game mentality. And I, the other thing I wanted to touch on with about Altador and, and seeing what we've been seeing with this kind of setup is what does Toronto do? And we've heard, um, you know, the the rumblings of potentially signings out of Italy mm. and whatnot. And I do wanted to kind of highlight that, you know, the start of the year we started with this 4-3-3 and how, you know, if we had kept the player like Luke Moore or kept the player like Hercules Gomez, Toronto could have been playing a f- something yeah, similar to what yeah, we're seeing. Yeah. And we might not have seen this, that kind of game. And then moving forward, if we have a guy behind uh, Altador who's who can offer that kind of play? I think that's what Toronto needs to start thinking about instead of like a babouli. Well, there was there was a significant moment in this game, and not to be too harsh on Osario, but there was a case where Javinko and Eltador were dominating in the box, and Javinko had passed to Eltador, and Eltador dummied it and gave you know Osario almost a perfect shot, and he hit it right at the keeper, and the keeper you know caught the ball. And, you know, you could see both Azario, I mean, sorry, you could see both Altador and Javinko kind of looking over like, hey, man, that was a wicked play we just did. And, yeah. you know, you're supposed to finish that to make the, to complete the play. It doesn't help the um, case we've been building for Osorio for the last year, right? We're saying he's always kind of like down the pecking order. And when he gets those be- that beautiful chance, if he'd finished it. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. we would have been like, see, like he, he can, he's, he can be a part of this. But, you know, I'm not jumping on that yeah no no it it seems like we've seen it personally and i think we've seen it both with toronto and canada where he always tries to sort of place a shot so it almost looks like it was funny you know sort of off tangent but i remember watching um canada and norway play in the world championship in hockey and norway could skate better than canada they were certainly smaller than canada but every shot they took on net looked like it went like two miles an hour <laughs> right and it seems like that's with with azario right like he doesn't he you know he tries to do everything perfect and it almost comes back to bite him right because in that case you know i think if you just make contact the ball would have a good chance getting in net but he just sort of lobbed it into the keeper's hand yeah so. And that's that's another one I'll, I'll circle back to the the opener and I think it was 2009 against Kansas City, and that was uh, there was a play where Chad Barrett was I think one v one with the keeper and he just you looked like he tried to place it and did a two mile per hour shot right oh, okay, into the okay. keeper. Yeah. Later on in the game, 
Jim Brennan overlaps on the wing, gets the same chance, and he goes, fuck this, and he just hammers it. <laughs> just And he just puts it top shelf. Oh, yeah. Right? Like, yeah, he just yeah. he just rockets it in there. He isn't yeah. trying to place it. He yeah. just hit it as hard as he yeah. could. Yeah. There's the goal. So I think there's there's kind of the case where you just, like, sometimes you just got to put it through the keeper yeah. rather than necessarily trying yeah. to find that perfect Well, and again, spot. again, I think, I don't know, but I think with Azario, it's a kind of a case. Like, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe his position, he feels fragile about it. You know, the fact that he's not getting consistently called up to Canada. Canada, you know, maybe he doesn't feel, maybe he feels that his position is in danger and so he has to play with a certain technique to allow himself to be a consistent player. And, you know, and I think technique is valuable in soccer, but I think also, you know, determination and, and you know, instinct and all those things have his equal sure. value. In terms well, and of here's, here's like two points that I'll, like I'll run off of that. The first one would be my overall in the first half and in parts of the second half too of my overall observation of Montreal was that you know they didn't get a lot of shots on target yeah. didn't get a lot of action however the chances they did get they did have some where it just went like they missed the net by a foot yeah there was yeah. a couple I can think of I think one from Drogba and one from the that uh, was it a Cameroonian right back um, oh Gwag- or yeah. Gwag- 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 yeah yeah so where they was like oh that was close and then if we talk about the last big play of the game in the second half is is the play with Jovinko. Yeah. And that's where we can talk about that kind of technique yeah, yeah, of being yeah, able to yeah. place the ball. And then I think the one thing you already mentioned but I wanted to say when I think of that play in the 81st minute that iced the game for Toronto FC was you know Will Johnson I thought made a sacrifice, a pretty huge sacrifice to get that ball ahead to Jovinko where okay. he knew he was going to get clattered, he knew he was going to yeah, get yeah, wrecked. Yeah. He did it anyways. And that's something where I think a, a lot of people have been so, you know, quietly being like, you know, Will Johnson, Will Johnson, Will Johnson hasn't had, I would say, like a breakout game. Yeah. I think quietly goes about a very blue collared game. And and then a play like that, you know, really makes me happy that you well, know, something was, where he stands you know, out. If I was a soccer coach and I was able to get video that are particular on one player, it would be Johnson from the, the, this game because... Bradley compensates a lot of his ability with his athletic ability, right? There was plays where he was out running, you know, a 20-year-old Cameroon guy, which you don't expect a white person there, you know, or anybody <laughs> to be able to do. Bald you white know. guy. <laughs> you know, there's things where Bradley's athleticism gives him a lot of leeway, right? And I don't think Johnson has that same natural talent or natural athletic ability, but just his knowledge of where to be. And, and, and one of the things I did notice, and if you look at the possession, I think Montreal did lead in possession, but Montreal, especially Alexander, was Montreal was doing a lot of that stupid thing where you pass to the holding midfielder and then back to the defender and back to the holding midfielder for like half an hour in the first half, right? And one of the things that, I, that really impressed me by Johnson was is he was aware of the whole pitch and he was aware of what was going on and he wasn't doing it just sort of willy-nilly, right? You know, like that's, again, you know, not to be too critical of Bradley, but that's what he tends to do, like tries the long ball or tries this. And Johnson was just aware of who was open, when the position needed to be in place. And, and yeah, no, I was very impressed by him. And you know what? I'll, I'll, I'll have two, two things I'll finish that with. The first, but I think, I think I'm paraphrasing a hilarious tweet where someone said, I don't think there's ever a foul that Will Johnson isn't willing to get into a fight over. Yeah. Because every time the way, you know, he's... Whether it's him or his teammates, he's like, he's like in the last game, I remember that too, where you, you see him like balling up his fists and he's clenching his whole body and he goes over the ref and spits in his face, uh, <laughs> which I always think is hilarious how riled up he gets. But I think on, on my side, 
A, I, I don't think I ever said, I, I really like Will Johnson. I like him for Canon. I've always liked him as a professional. But at the start of the year, you know, I did say things like, why did we, I really thought we just brought him in because he's Michael Bradley's buddy. Yeah. What is he, what, what gap is he really feeling? I, I felt that there was more pressing needs. So to eat us a little bit of crow, I think you can say as this team is evolving to this point, Will Johnson has been a big part of that. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 I would say, and, and, you know, and to give, you know, again, to give Toronto a lot of benefit of doubt and to say they foresaw this was, is maybe they perceived this defensive structure, right? And the whole defensive structure, right? Because I think Bershaw and, and Moore are like 29 years old, so everybody in that sort of back line is in that 29, 30, 31 years of age. And, you know, one of the things you do get with that age is you get experience, but you get adaptability, right? And the fact is, is that Bershaw and Morrow are playing that sort of back line. I might do a uh, state of the game MLS article on this, but I've always thought that if I don't trust any MLS team to break a team down. So if you are strong in the back and, and you're very defensive and you don't make, you make minimal mistakes, I think that is a key to being successful in the MLS. Sure. And if we go out, so Toronto wins this game 2-0 and we roll out of this game. You know, the only thing that I put that I thought was maybe a story of this game that we never saw was Kyle Becker. Yeah, um, you never played. Yeah. Well, you know, two other Canadians came into the game, Bernier and Tissot uh, from Montreal, but we didn't see Becker. I wonder if that was intentional or not. I can't imagine why, but it was uh, of uh, without following Montreal too closely, although I've seen watched them in terms of highlight packages and stuff. And from accounts of people who follow the impact, his last few games have been really, really good. And that's, a, I think, an interesting story, at least from a Canadian perspective and, of course, a former TFC perspective of a player who's gone on and looks to be settling in after having, a, I would say, not necessarily 100% his fault, but a pretty unsuccessful run with Toronto. Yeah, yeah. No, I've seen Montreal play this year and Becker has played well. I don't know if it's a case. He scored too. Yeah, there you go. I don't know if it's a case. Like, I think, you know, I think one of the things that Montreal might have is that DP issue. And it's funny because some of these guys are not even DP salary but they want control of the ball. And, you know, Simon is that in the back. I think Donald Dell is that in the midfield. And so, you know, to me, I would probably, for what he offers, I'd probably have Becker over Alexander, but maybe Alexander plays that second fiddle to Donald Dell better than Becker does. And, and it seemed to me that Montreal was very DP-centric, where it was their guys were going to make all the decisions and, you know, the other guys, quote, quote, weren't going to, play significant role and stuff like that yep and then the uh, as we go out i guess it's not really a sights and sound but maybe one to a degree because we weren't there but uh i really feel like this this i can't believe this was a real tweet because this came from noel butler okay. who's usually a fairly in tune guy for soccer in canada but he wrote you know where were to, to toronto fc supporters where were you when you were shit and took a picture of the traveling support and and as a you oh, know, okay, an exit okay. from the game, I scratch my head and say, what was it only three years ago that about 1,500 went to the Olympic Stadium yeah. for the season opener? So I don't really, that's a baffling thing. And if I will say, you know, one thing about Toronto has not been the best at almost anything, yeah. but I would almost argue they might be the best road-supported team yeah. in MLS, yeah. almost without debate. 
Well, I would almost call this Curlitis. <laughs> Kurt Larsenitis? <laughs> because he's gone out of his way, not, and again, it makes no sense, but he's gone out of his way to create controversy and create problems, and, you know, and then initially it was with the referees, and now it's Montreal, and, you know, he'll go on to he's something He's tweeting else, Patrice Bernier yesterday. I was watching that, and Bernier was <laughs> and like, so, don't tweet me on a game day about <laughs> Toronto. I thought that was pretty so, funny. So it doesn't, you know, I don't know who this Butler guy is, and I don't know if he's... He's Mont been on TSN. Okay, is he more Montreal? Or he, does, he, more does, he does radio. He's Montreal. Okay, so he does radio okay, out of Montreal, okay, and then okay. he was for a while part of the TSN soccer okay. team. So I, I do feel that it might be a case of trying to get your back, and, and this, this is the problem when you have a bunch of people don't understand the game talking about, about the game in some capacity. It just becomes, you know, like, you know, you just have to ignore it. That's for well, that's part. And that's the thing that, I get, again, I scratch my head. I say, yeah. no, you've been, you've seen Montreal Toronto games since day one in your Yeah, so well, yeah, you no, been, no, in that case, uh, you yeah, know, we yeah, were shit. Yeah, you know, we yeah. weren't great in two thousand and nine either, but yeah. you know, obviously a bunch of people came out to the Miracle Montreal yeah. on a midweek. I mean anyway. I thought you were gonna I thought for sights and sound you were gonna mention the bell. And and, and someone I retweeted oh, it. We, someone, we can say that so, too. Someone someone said uh, I retweeted it, but someone said uh, Ring that bell, Sebastian. Ring that bell, Sab. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's like, well, that's, and maybe I'll say the this. One. The, the supporters that Toronto travels to Montreal, at least they are a legitimate supporters group. Oh, yeah. yeah and yeah, not yeah. one created by your front office. Ooh, how's that? Like, <laughs> give me a break. Uh, maybe that's the story, Noel, you should be digging into instead of, <laughs> instead of what we were coming out to Montreal. Anyways, you know, as we wrap up this game, I think there's two, you know, we'll kind of do an, an exit thing, but I thought since I had no one wrote in this week, I would write into me to you, Aaron, oh, okay. to give you a little, maybe just a little platform since, you know, you're from Prospect 11 and I think... I feel like, I feel like I'm the gaffer hooligan again. Yeah, well, there you go. Because um, I did think it's an interesting question when you look at these two teams and a big part of the marketing, I think, especially if Toronto is Toronto FC2. Yeah. And, uh, and in Canada, there's so much talk about the youth players and, you know, loosely, I'm not trying to like... As the question of, you know, who's better? Yeah. The Academy out of Montreal, the Academy of Toronto, TFC2, FC Montreal, and uh, discussing the hopes and promises of the youth for both of these organizations. Well, I don't know. How do you compare two bad things? Like, what's what's the natural comparison <laughs> of that? <laughs> is that? Leave it at that? Is that, is no, that your no, conclusion no, off no. the hop? Um, I think Montreal, Montreal is interesting because the issue with or the benefit and the issue with Montreal. Montreal has gone this USDDA route, so they're in the academy, which certainly gives me greater awareness of them because I follow that league, so I'm more aware of the academy young players coming up in the Montreal system than necessarily the Toronto system. But Montreal has been very stuff like they've been uh, very um, insular. Insular, I guess. Insular is a good, nice word of saying it. The unfortunate thing to me, and this is my opinion, for both Toronto and Montreal, is it's not a case of developing talent for the senior team it's promising young players you get a chance to play this in one day and so what both teams are doing is they're bringing in and they're they're letting go a number of players very quickly right and i don't know what the financial commitment is to a usl player especially if you're like a boobooly you know i know boobooly's now signed to ml's contract but a cello like i don't know how much tfc2 pays him and so how much that cost is costing toronto FC. But both teams have, what they have done is they brought guys up and then very soon let them go and bring up another crew of young guys. And so what I think they're telling kids at 16 is if you come and join our academy, either TFC Academy or the Impact Academy, in two years you could be playing USL, you could be playing pro soccer, and that will provide you 
you know, these great opportunities in the future. Till we really have a Canadian league, I don't know if that benefits Canadian soccer because the story before was is once a player turns 18, there's nowhere to go. When we knew there was an option to go NCA if you wanted to go that route, but you know, the notion was there's nowhere to go. Well, now it's you turn 20 and there's nowhere to go. Right? Yeah. You know, it doesn't really make a huge difference, right? Because the amount of opportunities is still limited as a professional player in your 20, you know, in your mid to late 20s. Um, and in, in terms of a development thing, again, you know, you know, I guess Babuli is a, is a sign of a pro player properly developed, went through the system. Now, again, Babuli's technically didn't go through the yeah, system. He's though. weird. Yeah, it's different, right? He went to American college. He played at Aaron Mills and as an academy kid. So he got brought into TFC2 as soon as they started their League One Ontario or the TFC Academy. So it's not really truly developed. But, you know, in both cases, I think it part of it is wait and see. And so I'll give them benefit of the doubt. But the other thing is, is if you look at teams like Los Angeles, the Red Bulls, Portland, even Vancouver, is not only are they developing their own talent, but they're bringing in interesting young players from elsewhere to see if they can make the break to get into the first team. And arguably, if, if, if TFCs or Montreal Impact are around for the next five, 10 years, only three or four players are making that grade from TFC2 to the first team, I would think it's a failed plan. I'm sure people have fun going to TFC2 games and provides more soccer in the city. And so a lot of things, there's benefits, but I don't think it's really, you know, I've always said this, right? You know, there's very few players that go from the Manchester United Academy into the Manchester United first team, right? This That's always been a myth, right? That players go directly through sure. to, to the first team. But at the same time, you'd want players to be developed so that they could do that. Yeah. And I think that's my criticism to a degree is that I still don't see, it to my eyes, like any kind of blueprint. Yeah. Well, right? I'll tell you something funny is, is I was doing, I've been recently doing this Ontario database of youth players. And I was doing, I believe it's the OYSL, which is the Ontario Youth Soccer League, which is the league below the academy teams play in their own league, but this is the league below League One Ontario. And I think it was the U15 or U16 and Toronto FC Academy finished seventh in that league. Like behind Vaughn, behind Woodbridge, behind, you know, all yeah. the, all the names, Glean Shields and stuff like that. And if you're following, you know, like the one difference you do see is if you're in a, in a European city with a huge academy system, those academy systems dominate up to the point where they're up to the top level, right? And so if Toronto FC is struggling at the U15, U16 to be competitive in Ontario soccer, that's the bigger question, right? Yeah. That that has less to do with well, to do with TFC2 and more to do with the whole infrastructure of, yeah, the, of the it, academy. And I don't want to like get in a whole, you know, this is a whole big dumping on them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the other like side note that I would say is, you know, we both went to the the Sigma showcase last yeah. December. And, you know, this is some of the best to top academies, you know, 100 to 150 NCAA schools, the top NCAA schools yeah. go to it. And uh, TFC Academy is not involved in that. Yeah. So for all this, you know, pomp, pomp and circumstance they put around their academy and, and the roadmap and quotes that they set up, there's an event that happens 10 minutes from them, 15 minutes from them, yeah. where you, you could get your players into the top NCAA programs if they're not ready at 17 or 18 to make a jump to USL Pro, yeah. which a lot, every, almost every top club in MLS does, yeah. and TFC doesn't. And, and I'm I think sure, that's I'm a, sure to me, that's a big red flag. I'm sure if we were talking to a coach of a youth soccer program in, in Toronto, they would also say that TFC2 or TFC 
takes players away from them, right? Because I, again, I have the history of Edwards and all these TFC2 players, and none of them, you know, a couple go a couple years back in the TFC Academy, but all of them start, you know, most in Brampton. <laughs> they all start, you know, somewhere, and then TFC2 offers them an opportunity. And, and, and again, in some sense, it's a better opportunity than maybe Sigma or something like that offers. It's just... It seems, you know, right now, and, and, you know, again, I don't want to be overly critical, but right now it seems more for show than for, you know, than this is a real, you know, established development thing. And in the case, you know, just because we're doing a comparison, I think Montreal is more to that, right? I think Montreal has that in place. And, and you know, there's the guy, uh, was it Tab- Tabella? Tabla. Tabla. Blue Tabla. Yeah. Who is that? Tab- now, again, <laughs> the, the caveat there is he's from every coast and he came to Canada when he was 14, 15 so he's only been here so most of his soccer talent was probably taught yeah. in the and I'm hearing <laughs> the, the paranoia in Canada soccer is with, oh, with the, Drogba on the team oh that you might he's, might in, he's in his to. ear saying oh, <laughs> don't don't play for Canada brother like let's go, come to uh, come back home we miss you <laughs> so there's a bit of a paranoia there okay but um, but I again I think they're they've more traditional and more established and so i think if we're doing this conversation two three years down the road i think montreal will be a bit ahead but you know and i think it would trial is a kind of wait and see like i think there's some interesting players with tfc too and hopefully they you know can develop themselves well and again. i think to that uh you know, Philippe Eulafroy is a little bit more coaching experience than Jason Bent. From all all I've heard, is is a quite a good coach. Yeah. But I think Eulafroy has, um, you know, more youth experience. Yeah. And, and a more diverse experience. I think he also he coached. Did he coach McGill? I think it was. He coached CIS. So he kind of has that vibe of a certain age group and helping players. You know, get. Well, point well, a to B. it's TFC two is a team. And it's an easy bet against, but they've already blown two two nothing leads this year, right? And so. You know, like if if their goal is to get results, and not, not to say that what, didn't Toronto beat FC Montreal recently? A great goal by was it Edwards or was yeah, it, yeah, um, they won two one. Malik yeah. uh, Edwards and Johnson. Yeah, like, Johnson, Johnson right? had the a one, great the goal. one who ran through the whole team, but Edwards also scored a nice goal uh, yeah. later in the game and stuff like that. And that's why I'm saying, like, you know, I don't rate Montreal's academy or FC Montreal as a strong team, right? So I think in that case, both teams are struggling. Um, what I do like about FC Montreal is is, is that it's deeply connected to the academy team, and so there's a system already in place. So if you're a 13, 14-year-old player of any talent in Montreal, you already have this path that you're going to take to get into, you know, potentially into the MLS if you're good enough. Right. So I don't know if we answered the question because you definitely said that. <laughs> but that's fine. I it just wanted to be a, a, a general discussion on the two academies, I think, and, the, and their... Uh, reserve team in quotes USL teams uh, because I do think it's an interesting discussion from a from a Canadian perspective um, and I'm interested to see players like how Tabla comes through or Uccello for example yeah. and I guess yeah. and Malik Johnson too because Johnson Edwards and, and Uccello are kind of all in that same age group uh, yeah. that are well the other interesting the other interesting thing in in, in Toronto is is the uh, League One Ontario is starting very soon and I think there's 12 teams now in it or yeah, something expanded again 16 teams or something they actually have a team they have a team playing out of Varsity Arena so or Varsity Stadium varsity so stadium. I'll probably go to games Varsity or at Lamport No Varsity 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 so it's connected with U of T the North Toronto team it's oh. weird it's called North Toronto but they play out they of, play out of varsity. Central Toronto it gives me a chance to go to a few games and stuff like that. And, and another interesting 
I guess, conversation, not to make the podcast go on forever, but was that convers- was that article from the guy in Vancouver who was who was completely um, despondent by the Whitecaps, and he said, now I'm going to try to cheer for any team I can. And he picked a, I don't even know what league that team he's choosing for who plays in, right? Sure. You know, that's what I would say to people. You know, if you're not pleased with your experience at Toronto FC or you're not, you know, you, there is the option of going to TFC too. It seems to be a little bit more laid back and easygoing and you can have a lot of fun there. And then there's also now, you know, I guess every area of the city, you got your local team, right? Yeah, I think that's, well... You know, and and then the other interesting thing to that is is the president of the PLSQ, which is the comparison to... Um, League One Ontario and Quebec says next year or the year after that those teams are start going to join the Voyager Cup. So they'll play teams, they could potentially play teams like Toronto FC in that tournament. Yeah. So, you know, if you're from Aurora and your Aurora team's playing TFC two years from now, I'm sure that's going to be a, a fantastic soccer moment. Yeah. Kind of thing. And I would say too that just a quick side note on uh, League One Ontario too is that it, I think it is important for them to have a team that's located in downtown Toronto. Oh yeah, yeah. Because was yeah. it two years? For the, oh, the the um, inaugural season yeah. they had that team playing out of Lamport and they folded. Well, the and, and the and irony then, the irony is is every conversation away from League One Ontario people that we've had regarding League One Ontario was that game. <laughs> you know, was that game at Lamport yeah, Stadium? TFC yeah, TFC against yeah, yeah. was it? Inter, they call it international, international, international. Right, yeah. and it's just like yeah, because. I mean, I could walk to that game, yeah, right? Yeah. And I would have gone to keep watching. I would have watched Sigma play that team. I oh, would have yeah, gone to see yeah. all these other... It's, it's, so it's not so much it's my local team. It's that I can watch the league. I want to see I want to see who's playing up at Vaughn, right? Sure, like that's yeah. uh, the key players up there. Or the guy on... Was it Masters, right? That had the the, the leading scorer last season? Yeah, Reed, or A&B? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Alondra Reed. Yeah, yeah, stuff like that. So for that to be a little bit closer and not having to get in the car, I think is a huge thing. So I'm looking forward to to those games this year. Yeah, yeah. Um, so if we leave it at that, Aaron, you know, Toronto FC, as we sort of set off the top, we'll see what they have moving forward. They play Portland next weekend, the last road game, next Sunday, last yeah. road game before yeah. they face off against FC Dallas at home, who lost in Vancouver yesterday. Yeah, I So know, that's a, a weird That's game, an man. interesting twist in the start of their season that they're not invincible. Good old parody. <laughs> yeah, good old parody. Um, so, I mean, that was a game where I was like, ooh, I'm really nervous, but FC Dallas coming to to TFs to play us at BMO Field, they could ruin the party. Uh, two well, the years in a, two years the, in a row with a Texan team. The interesting, the interesting thing is, is now again, I don't know how teams are going to face to face Toronto, but the interesting thing about Portland and Dallas of healthy is is that their wing play is their key players, right? And so, I don't know. I don't think the teams that Toronto's played so far that that has been the power of, or the strength of the other team. So it will be interesting to see how Toronto plays against that. And then, as I said, I think I started off the podcast with is if they play this defensive style when they're finally at home or do they try to break out from it and then the old... <laughs> yeah. issues, there was there was an issue, uh, there was a point in yesterday's game where Perky uh, almost did a Ian moment. <laughs> right, I, so, I do say so, he's so. good for one of those games. <laughs> Where he misjudges a bouncing ball over his head and it goes behind well, there, him. There was a questionable. Fuck. There was almost a questionable penalty. And, okay. And 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 it was funny because uh, Drogba and Perky were having a laugh about it afterwards, but it seemed like uh, it could have gone either way. But all right. Well, <laughs> let's let's leave it at that. Let's leave it at that. Perky gets out uh, scot free. 
skin of his teeth. So Aaron, Aaron Nielsen, as always, you're uh, ENB Sports on Twitter yep. as well as Prospect XI. Yep. So people can follow you there. You've been we've been catching up with some of your state of the game articles. So this week there was one. If you haven't seen it yet, go to Red Nation Online and check that out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the season, you know, lots of stuff starting up. So League One Ontario and yeah. all those kind yeah. of things. Uh, exciting stories still developing. People can reach me at Clark RNO, info or have your say at rednationaline.ca for anything we talked about on this episode uh, or anything you want us to talk about uh, coming up on the next one. Send us an email and uh, we'll talk about it on the pod. So I'll leave it at that. Thanks again, Aaron, for coming out. Thanks everyone for listening and back to next week. We want you to get involved. Reach out to us on Twitter at Red Nation Online or by email at info or have your say at rednationonline.ca. Get in touch with us. Let us know how you thought the team did. Agree, disagree, it doesn't matter. Also, check out our other podcasts on Red Nation Online from the Black Hole, Ours is the Fury, and our interview series. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you guys next time.